This is Man Afraid of Everything. I'm 34 years old, and I'm afraid of taking a Caribbean cruise. Welcome aboard the second and final part of the series. When we left off in part one, we had just ordered dessert in the dining room when the ship's alarm went off. Apparently, this type of warning doesn't happen very often. In fact, it never happened while Matthew Wegman worked on cruise ships. My name is Matthew Wegman. I worked for a cruise line for about five years as a singer, and the alarm never went off for me. When the alarm went off, nobody at our table knew what was going on. Was that the man overboard signal? Maybe somebody fell off. The captain came on and said they had spotted a group of people in distress. Oh my god, how did a group of people fall off? I pictured someone bumping into a couple, and they all toppled over the railing and slammed into the ocean. We did have a couple instances of a man overboard situation, which is always unfortunate, because, you know, we do our best to find the person, and then it's, it's dark and it's cold and the odds are slim. The captain came on again and said we were turning around. They had spotted a boat in distress, and they were going to send a rescue team to investigate. Who's in the boat? Sailors? Fishermen? Pirates? I started to wonder, who are they? Do they have weapons? What kind of weapons does the cruise ship have? I know they have six kinds of gourmet desserts, but do they have guns? After dinner, we ran up to deck seven and joined the line of people crowding the windows. It was dark outside and pouring rain, so all we could see was our reflection until we got close enough to practically press our face up against the window. And there it was, a light beam cutting through the darkness, guiding a tiny rescue boat over the waves and back to the ship. The captain came on again and said the boat was carrying Cuban refugees. This was unexpected. The captain said they could only fit three of them in the rescue boat and they'd have to go back out to get the rest. Can you imagine being the ones who were left behind? This was only my second cruise, and we were watching a life-or-death rescue mission. Had this ever happened to Matthew? No, never to me. A friend of mine did have that um, on another ship that she was working on. She had a, a refugee situation where they rescued a few people, but that's really rare that you had it on your particular cruise. And he'd been to a few places. We've been to um, all of Alaska, all the way down the west coast of the U.S. to California wine country, Hawaii, the French Polynesian Islands, Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, South America, Central America. All these places and the onboard alarm had never gone off. He never had to gather everybody up and get to the lifeboats. He never had any fires on board. Never had any rescues like this. That sounds like a, a, a Italy, Spain, <laughs> Portugal, <laughs> a lot of places. The crew bravely rescued seven refugees in total. At the time, we were south of Cuba on the way to the Cayman Islands. While we were trying to make sense of it all, a college kid came up to us and asked, This might be a stupid question, but what's a refugee? We worry about things like, is this a stupid question? But we don't worry about building a raft to shove off into the deep Caribbean waters. 
It's a real and terrifying thing that these people did. According to the Mariner's Luncheon the following day, their craft was made of some wood pieces and styrofoam held together with string, and if we hadn't spotted them, they probably wouldn't have survived the night. The excitement of the rescue distracted me from worrying about swimming with wild stingrays in the Cayman Islands the following morning. It was going to be the first country I'd ever been to besides the U.S. and Canada. My girlfriend and I had spent weeks planning this cruise, but Matthew Wegman was a little more spontaneous. Honestly, it was kind of a big impulse for me. Um, A friend of mine had seen an audition notice for uh, a singing group that was going to be on ships. She found the notice on Craigslist and sent me the link, and I went up that weekend to visit her and audition, and I got the gig within, it was all within like 72 hours. I had seen the link and then gone on the audition and then got word that I was going to be working on a ship. So it was kind of a whirlwind, like, crazy situation. Aside from going to Canada once or twice, I had never left the country before. So it was kind of, I wasn't sure what kind of culture shock I was going to be experiencing when I went to all these, uh, you know, far off ports. I've been to, you know, all seven continents at this point. Um, The other thing I was concerned about was because I was leaving by myself, that I wasn't going to, you know, have any fun or make any friends because it was, you know, going to be six or seven months at sea without anybody I'd ever met before. So it was kind of, just kind of throwing myself off the deep end. And the other thing was I had never been on a ship before. I'd never been in the water at all. So somebody asked me if I was going to get seasick, and I said, you know, I don't know. I've never even been on, like, a fishing boat. So I guess we'll just see what happens. When we got up on Wednesday morning in Grand Cayman, we were already anchored in the bay, and the refugees had been taken into port. They were presumably returned to Cuba, because if they don't reach dry land, they're usually returned. At this destination, we had to take tenders into port, which I'd never done before. The little boat was very rocky, and when we got to shore, I really had to go to the bathroom. My first act in another country? Using a public restroom. My girlfriend yelled into the bathroom, Jed, they're lining up. They're starting to line up. I ran out as fast as I could and joined the line as we made our way to the tour bus. When we got on the bus, a man sat behind us with a video camera. He was narrating the entire trip. Who does that? It was time for the thing I dreaded most on the trip. Stingray City. I had tried to push for the baby turtle farm instead, but my sister had done the stingray excursion before and convinced us to try it. What's the worst that could happen? Well, the crocodile hunter was killed by a stingray. So there's that. What about bad weather? Drowning? Sharks? Eels? Barracudas? Toilets? The bus dropped us off at the docks and we climbed aboard the boat. It had two levels and a pump toilet. Thank God. Should we go up top? No. We could get sunburned. I pictured stingrays swimming in shallow water near the shore, but instead we cruised 30 minutes to a sandbar in the middle of the ocean and the captain made an announcement about how to use the flotation jackets, but then they never gave us any. He also said, There's a cooler in the middle with cups and water and some punch, but don't worry, the water is very much safe to drink. I didn't drink the water. There was also a laundry basket with snorkels and masks at the back of the boat, 
I made a mental note to rinse out the dirty snorkel in the ocean before putting it in my mouth. When we got to the sandbar, the turquoise and clear water was already crowded with bobbing tourists and boats. Suddenly, a worker dove into the water. I thought, no, don't do that. You could get paralyzed. He was chasing after a stingray. The crew warned us that the only way the stingrays may get upset is if you handle them too roughly or if you step on one. Oh great, don't step on a thing that's flat and literally glides along the floor of the ocean. I climbed down a ladder off the back of the boat and panicked. How am I going to see the stingrays so I don't step on them? I need to get this mask on so I can see them. I pulled the mask down and stuck the snorkel in my mouth. It was too late to wash the snorkel. Somehow, I survived. The water was shallow enough to stand in, and a crew member started putting wild stingrays on tourists for pictures. Couples kissed for the camera, as the stingray flapped its wings and slapped them in the face. The other crew member asked if I wanted to touch a stingray. I kinda did. What does a stingray feel like? I reached out and felt the wing. It was like a wet rubber tire. He asked me if I wanted to hold it. I kinda did. I held out my arms, and he put the deadly creature in them. I smiled awkwardly for a picture, and the stingray swam off. The guy chased after it and said, You gotta hold it! And I said, I thought I was just pretending to hold it! He tracked the stingray down and put it back in my arms. This time I curled my forearms up and held the front of it against my chest. I kept an eye glued on the stingray's tail as it darted around in front of me. I was out of my comfort zone. But once I started shooting pictures and video, I felt safer. Looking through that little screen separates you from the wild animals, and they don't feel as real. I guess it wasn't the most adventurous excursion. We were just standing in shallow water. It's not like we were skydiving. We were in Honolulu, and they all wanted to go on a skydiving tour, and I kind of went along with the crowd and got caught up in the excitement, and I booked the tour for myself, and then I realized halfway up, the 14,000 feet flight to go skydiving, I was like sweating and shaking and like freaking out. But then I did it and it was really cool and it was like a really like exhilarating experience and it was one of my things where I went out of my comfort zone entirely, but I wouldn't do it again. That that looking over the edge of that plane before the instructor pulls you out with him, it's, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> it was a one-time only thing. Back on the sandbar in Grand Cayman, we bobbed around in the waves for a while and then for the grand finale, the worker pulled out dead squid. The stingrays went nuts and started swarming us. The worker asked if I wanted to feed them. I did not want to feed them. A stingray brushed up against my leg and I freaked out. I started to feel unsafe, and then a wave surprised me and I gulped a little seawater and I was done. We climbed back aboard the boat and headed back to shore. After a brief walk around the shops in town, we returned to the cruise ship. On Thursday morning, we were in Falmouth, Jamaica. Some of the experts weren't fond of the port because the cruise company built a sanitized shopping area inside of gates. A lot of people don't even bother to leave the gated area, so if you do, the street vendors can be quite aggressive and persistent. I can't handle the pressure of a train ticket vending machine, so we plan to stay on the boat that day. See the Dancing at Daybreaker episode. That morning, after breakfast, I flipped through one of the travel guides I loaned from the library. It was risky, taking a library book that far from home. But I did it. 
As I was reading, I saw a mention of a trolley tour. It wasn't referenced anywhere else in the cruise literature. It sounded interesting, so we got off the boat and took a tour of the historic area of Falmouth. It ended up being the most rewarding cultural experience of the trip. Our trolley exited the secure gate and we traveled through blocks of shops, bars, a really fancy house, houses falling apart, a Mercedes, and wild goats. We learned about the history of the area, local culture, and cuisine. The tour guide said that all the cars were honking at us because it was their way of saying hello or get out of the way. I think it was more get out of the way. Eventually, the trolley stopped at a church where vendors had propped up tents. Some of the locals did give us looks, and the vendors were a little pushy with their t-shirts and crafts. I thought about buying some wood carvings, but what if they have drugs inside? We entered the church and took in the history. The tour guide said that graves in the area are built above ground, so the floor of the church was built above graves. I imagined being in church and the floor starts creaking. It's probably nothing. Or it's a Jamaican boa. In the end, Falmouth was the only destination on the trip that felt like an authentic place. I had visions of what it might be like, but the reality was different. Not better, not worse, just different. When you haven't been out of the country before, you kind of get an expectation of what certain things are going to be like when you finally do visit these far-off exotic places. And um, I think the most disappointing thing for me was when we went, uh, we docked in Egypt, and we did a bus tour down to see the pyramids. And as a little kid, I always been fascinated with Egypt, and I was like so excited to, you know, ride a camel over these sand dunes and see the pyramids off in the distance. But it's essentially like it's just you're getting off the highway and there's an exit for the pyramids, and it's so underwhelming because there's a KFC right across the street from the Sphinx. Sometimes things like that would happen, and you'd be a little disappointed in the, the grandeur of what you expected it to be, but it was still really cool to say that you've been to those awesome places and seen those historical monuments and stuff. On Friday, we spent another day at sea. Our trip was winding down, and I hadn't gotten sick yet. My hand-washing routine had paid off. If something was gonna go down, though, there are signs. So whenever you see the crew members standing outside of all the restaurants and all the areas with the sanitizer that you know that something's popping up. It's tough because once somebody comes back on board with it, because we find that usually what happens is we visit a certain port and then after that day it starts to spread. So if somebody must have eaten something or brought something back on or touched something in the port and then didn't wash their hands when they came back on. And then once you're in that contained situation, it spreads really quickly. So I didn't get norovirus. But what about seasickness? That can strike at any moment, even for a seasoned veteran. I did get seasick one time. We were going around uh, around South America, around the Horn, and going down toward Antarctica. And the storms were just so crazy, and the ship was rocking for days nonstop. And we had to cancel a lot of the port visits because it was too dangerous to go ashore, or to bring the ship that close to shore. And I looked out, and I was like, we're just going to be stuck like this forever. It's always rocking, always feeling gross <laughs> and we're never going to see land. It was the one time I was really like anxious to see land again because out of a 14-day cruise, we were at sea for nine or ten of those days because we just could not dock anywhere because it was too dangerous. Luckily, we never did get seasick. On Saturday, we spent the day on the private island of Castaway Cay, which was breathtakingly gorgeous. 
an uninhabited island with very little water pressure, which made it really hard to clean my hands. We spent most of the day in the sparkling turquoise water. I wasn't worried about drowning because it was surprisingly easy to float in the salt water. Unfortunately, a passenger did become seriously ill and had to be evacuated by helicopter. As far as what we did on the ship, we ate a lot, went to the pool, and walked cautiously around the ship on deck. I still worried about falling off the back. The lower deck at night, with the water churning, still freaks me out. We also spent a lot of the nights listening to the B.B. King All-Stars perform the blues. The saxophone player went by the name of Tiger, and he played two saxophones at the same time. I'm pretty good at worrying about two things at the same time. It was strange to see Tiger later, waiting in line at the buffet. I wondered what life was like for entertainers on the ship, so I found Matthew on Reddit. My singing group was an acapella quartet. We'd sing in all the different bars and lounges, maybe like three or four times a night at the most, for 15 minutes each. We'd pop up near a bar so that you'd sit down and listen to us and buy a drink. So it was always, always revenue-based. Luckily, as an entertainer, I was, itch. I was actually able to use the public area. So I was able to go up to all the fancy bars that the guests could go to and the buffet and eat everything I wanted to for free and all the restaurants and things on board I was able to go to. They encouraged us actually to use public areas because as entertainers, people saw us a lot around the ship and they wanted to talk to us, wanted to you know get to know us. So they encouraged us to be out and about and be seen by people too. On the last night, I ran into Tiger, the saxophone player, and said, Great show tonight. Hey, does the ship have a gym? We've been on here all week and haven't found it. He pointed us in the right direction. I felt ridiculous. Hey, which way to the gym? We had um, a crew like dining hall that was similar to the buffet that the guests get to have. The crew have their own gym. Uh, we lived in pretty much like a college dorm setting with a tiny little room, two twin beds, but it had a little tiny bathroom with a shower and everything and it's I was lucky in the sense that since I was with my fiancé most of the time that we were on board, we lived together, so I always liked my, my roommate. He met his fiancé on a cruise ship? Yeah, so it was my third contract, and um, he signed on as a dancer, because I'm sure you saw on the ship there was like the shows of the singers and dancers. So he was one of the dancers, and um, we hit it off right away. Um, so we met in March, we were engaged by June, and then um, when I signed off that that um, that contract, I, I left the group I was singing with to form the group with my fiancé and my friend, and, and to start doing that so we could stay together, because there was no guarantee on the ship that if I took a contract with my singing group and he took a contract again as a dancer, that we'd end up on the same ship ever. We kind of had to make it happen for ourselves. It was our last night and we had to prepare to disembark. To make things easier, you can tag your luggage and they'll take it off the ship for you. You have to leave your luggage outside your room the night before. My stuff? Outside? Anyone could steal my bag. What if they put something inside? I wouldn't find out until later at customs when they ask me why I have a wood carving stuffed with peanut butter and handguns. We put our luggage out and went to sleep. 
In the morning, we lamented over breakfast about how quickly the trip flew by. Our adventure was over. It was okay, though, because we had run out of things to do on the ship. You can only visit the same lounges, bars, and restaurants so many times. I can't imagine spending six months on one. There's always changeover. You're always seeing new people and losing friends and seeing friends. And sometimes, like, you'll go to a ship and you'll see somebody that you worked with two years ago on a previous ship because it's a really small community. So that's always fun when you kind of reconnect with somebody and get to see them again. That's really cool. After we disembarked, my girlfriend's uncle picked us up from the cruise port. We spent the afternoon at the Everglades Holiday Park. Airboat tours and gator shows. I didn't have any time to research, and I didn't have any time to bail. I pictured sitting in front of a giant fan, my hearing permanently damaged. Instead, the boat was mostly enclosed. I still worried about a snake slithering around the bottom of the boat, or an alligator snapping at us after it swam up next to us. But nothing crazy happened. We just saw a few alligator eyes and tails floating around in the water. It's been a few months since our trip, and I don't have any regrets about not trying something. We were only away for a week, so it didn't take long to adjust to the normal routine. It's different when you've spent five years cruising the world. You know, I miss the ship life. I really do. Um, Because, not just because I was getting to travel and because it was, you know, fun and exciting, but it was, I was getting to do what I really loved to do as my main living. Obviously all your bills are paid and everything. I was like, how great that I can go and I can do my craft and I can save money while I'm doing it and have a great time. But it was the other half of it was, yeah, it is really exciting to tell people I'm gonna work on a ship for a living. I'm gonna be in the middle of the ocean and I'm gonna go to all these fantastic places and but, you know, the other half of it was that I wanted to just sing and it was an opportunity for me to do that. Um now I'm, you know, I'm working at 9 to 5, and I get to perform on the side. I do shows in the, you know, the community theater, and I always, I teach voice lessons, so I get to share that with my students, but I'm not, it's not my livelihood anymore, and I think that's what I miss most about not being on the ships anymore, is that it's not, it's no longer the main focus of my life. Split decisions can change your life, but what if you'd given up after the first contract, and the singing group didn't work out? I even went to college, like, in the same town that I grew up in, so this was a huge leap for me, and I really missed being that, you know, that comfortable level of being home, and what I know was near me, and I can always call my mother if I needed to, but, you know, there's no cell phone service in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, so it was kind of difficult to get used to being really alone. Eventually, once you make those friends, and you kind of make those networks of people, and you you get comfortable where you are, it's, it's easier. If he hadn't given it another go with a new singing group, he never would have met his fiance. Yeah, I left the country single and I came home with a fiance that my family had never met. So that was fun to explain to everybody. <laughs> but they love him. Every moment is an opportunity to get afraid and take a risk. We just kind of would just find an adventure everywhere we went. It was our mission to just make the most of every day that we had because you didn't know if you were ever come back there again. Thanks for listening to Season 2, Episode 3. There may not be another one. Man Afraid of Everything is me, Jed. 
You can find more episodes at getafraid.com. Music by FF Lowbeats. Thanks to Matthew Wegman for sharing his story. So what should I do next? Visit getafraid.com and let me know, and maybe I'll do it.